This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, please join me in welcoming Wendy Sterling to the Pollock Theater. Um, As I said at the beginning, uh, Mindy has a long and illustrious career in comedy, spanning uh, theater, film, television, uh, which I hope we can discuss alongside our discussion of the 1999 sleeper hit, Drop Dead Gorgeous. So, to begin, (laughs) how did you come to be involved in this project? Well, um, I auditioned. Pretty easy, uh, and then, but um, Lana Williams, the one that wrote it, and she was the blonde judge in it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, she had taken classes at the Groundlings, the improv um, theater company that I was associated with. So um, I saw her at the audition and just was like, oh my God, please hire me. Um, but I auditioned like anybody else. It was, you know, still the, a, a process of it. So I was lucky that, uh, yeah, I got it. Well, this was 1999, and uh, this was also the year the second uh, Austin Powers film, the, yeah. the Spy That Shagged Me. So um, how would you compare acting in a small, independent production like Drop Dead to working on something like Austin Power, and Powers? And you were, you were doing them, which came... Were they, they were, one was in the summer? I was trying to figure it out. Yeah, well, this was, this was definitely in the summer because I remember being in Minnesota and it was horribly humid and there were like bees in your, um, you know, your canned dr- uh, soda drinks. Um, it was pretty nasty and pretty mm-hmm. nasty. So this was, yeah, this was definitely summer. Um, well, it, it was just what I loved about doing this film was... Um, I loved the just the playfulness that this had. It was it was kind of different than what I was doing in Austin Powers, even though it was playful. This um, lent itself to more improv and just um, you know it was just it was kind of a they're obviously both comedies, but it was just sort of set differently. And um, I just remember loving doing this. I just loved doing it. I loved the people in it. I mean, all you know, you, I sit there again and I look at all these these stars that came from there. I like knew half of the and half of the people that are in this are like very successful, you know, actors and actresses. So at that time, you didn't know that, mm-hmm. and that it's so exciting to sit there and, and and see all these people in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just as a kind of follow up, in in this film and in the Austin Powers films, your characters. Your characters are acting as comedy support for the more central character. So how do you pull off the balance of being hilarious in your own right, which you do, and not entirely upstaging the main actors? Is it easier to be a lead role in a comedy? Well, that I don't know. <laughs> um, I think Sorry it's more. I think it's fun to play the sidekick or the you know the the the, the second you know two. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like playing support supporting players. I think that. Um, you just, you know, you, you, you find the moments that um, really create the character and that work alongside with um, the lead. And the lead, most of the time, is not as quirky as you are, so you get to, 
right. you know, kind of counter that and play with that. And um, Kirsi Alley was, I'd never met her before, and she was very, very sweet. I just remember the whole time she was a little, um, you know, kind of not sure of herself in a lot of the things. And then at one point she said, maybe I should read the script. <laughs> I just thought, that is so perfect. Uh, which now I do the same thing. I don't read all the scripts. I just, where's my part? Um, so, but she was wonderful. I mean, mm-hmm. so if you have that kind of chemistry and that kind of lovely support um, and you have each other's back, it makes it a lot easier to work with. Okay. I, I wanted to just ask a few questions about kind of the cult status of the movie. And as I was saying at the beginning, it wasn't commercially and it wasn't critically successful. And every, people thought the film's tone was too dark and too bleak. Um, I read ah. that they really wanted a remake of Clueless. They thought, you know, and this, they didn't quite know what to do with it. Um, and apparently there was discussion whether it should be uh, marketed as an indie film um, rather than, uh, you know, a mainstream film. Uh, the director himself said instead of succeeding at being offbeat, some have said that the film failed at being ma- mainstream. So that it was pitched between these two things. I love dark comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is so much more interesting because our lives are all dark. And um, so I think that you, that's where you get some of the best stuff. So I'm a huge uh, fan of that. And that's what I love about this. And I, that's what I loved about um, the director. I mean, the, it, this was written and a lot of it was... Um, from a place that Lana, I guess she lived in Minnesota and she was in the pageant circuit. So to, to take a twist on, I think, made it really what it, what it is. It is a cult. And, um, and I, the, the director couldn't have been better with this and, and his actors and, and put it together so beautifully. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, you know, as, as I said at the opening, this was a fam- our family favorite. You know, your family often yeah. you come upon... And I, you know, as the parent of two teenage daughters, um, I was always struck when I would go to the school events, you know, orchestra concert or the, you know, the play that they were putting on or the whatever. And, you know, the orchestra concert, I mean, it would go on forever. Um, there would be the choir, would go on forever. And they would be singing songs with all the lyrics taken out. And it was, they all looked so fresh-faced. And then I would go to the talent show. Yeah, and the talent show oh, is where the action the was. best because you really had a sense of what was on their minds. You know, the one person singing a cappella really badly, the bad comedy, the rock and roll group. So part of the reason I liked, I personally liked this film is because I thought it was more, more as much as a mockumentary. It was a little bit more honest about what it is to be in high school. Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> absolutely, and how earnest everybody felt at what they were doing. They really took that you know, very seriously, and they really worked very hard. You know, Soylent Green yeah. was, you know, <laughs> you know, she, like, you know, was really on top of it. And I, I'm pretty sure this is true. The girl that does the... Um, Signing? She is, is making it up. I'm pretty sure she said, to, and when I said something to her, like, oh, how do you know? And she goes, oh, I don't. I'm just making, I think she was making most of that stuff up. <laughs> um, so I just remember that, and I'm getting to know these, these girls and then getting, finding, like, the inside stuff. Um, but no, I did not hang out with Denise, Denise Richards. <laughs> no, she was in her own thing. Yeah. What's been your experience of the cult fandom of the film in the years since its release? What's been your experience? Well, um, 
When somebody comes to me and says, um, you did one of my favorite films, and of course I think it's Austin Powers, and they say Drop Dead Gorgeous, and I get so excited because it literally is one of my favorite. And sitting here tonight and seeing the whole, because I'll see it in bits and pieces when it comes on television and, you know, watch a little bit of it, but now you've got this big, big screen and seeing it from beginning to end and having the memories that I had when I was there and I was shooting it and what we did and what happened then and da, da, da. It, what is very, very thrilling and exciting and to have something like this emerge to be a cult in, you know, with so many different people um, is, I'm really, I'm really pleased and honored to be a part of that. Just to follow up, women are often overlooked not only as comedy creators, but also as comedy fans. Um, your work has brought you into contact with some films and shows around which there's intense cult fandom. And you've been a participant at a number of fan conventions, um, another space that is traditionally thought of as a male space. So what have you learned about female comedy fans across your career? Oh, um, well, I think, um, I mean, the fans are fans. It doesn't matter, male or female. They, they like your stuff, and they love their, your stuff. And I don't know, I'm such a, I'm such a, a ladies' lady. I love supporting women. I love when women come up to me and tell me how much um, I inspire them. Uh, I love that I make them laugh. I love, I mean, when women can relate to women that way, um, it, it's, there's something really special about it. Mm-hmm. So um, I do. I, I have such a heart for other women that say they want to do this or get into this or, oh, my God, during a horrible time in my life, you made me laugh. And, yeah. um, you know, because women can be open and emotional and honest, and that's what I love they about it. They can also it. be hideous, as we saw in the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a strong and mean. <laughs> and mean. Mean girls are real. There's a strong sense of place in, in this film. Did you arrive on the set with some understanding of this world of beautiful Mount Rose, Minnesota? Or did you do anything particular to try to pick up on local accents or mannerisms? Well, the funny thing about it is the, the people there that have that accent, they don't believe they do. Of course. <laughs> There was, there's one woman, and because there, they, what they did was they, um, they threw in a couple of locals. So there's one woman that is part of the posse, so it's uh, Kirstie Alley, me, and this other woman who didn't really have any lines. Um, I don't remember her name, but, uh, you know, she talked like that, and she didn't believe that she had it. And, um, but then, and then some of them really don't have that accent. I mean, we exaggerated it, you know, um, to a point, but... Um, I knew nothing about, I'd never been to Minnesota, never been to that part of the country, knew nothing about the people there. Um, and um, like I said, it was really hot. And uh, didn't really know anything about the pageant life. So, uh, you know, to get a glimpse of what happens, because I, I believe everything that happened. <laughs> I mean, you watch it and you go, well, why not? That could happen. Those, and and those, there are people like that you know, there and here and everywhere. And when you, especially when you do the Comic-Cons that I do, a lot of those, um, I just, I was just in um, El Paso last weekend. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that, that, that kind of, those kind of people that, um, you know, you go, oh God, honey, you shouldn't wear that. <laughs> you shouldn't be wearing that. Um, and, um, and, but just as lovely as can be, but they have a whole different mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Just to switch gears a little bit, um, 
What, if anything, seems dated to you in watching it again now? I mean, some have said that the film's meanness isn't shocking, embracing, it's just mean. Um, to cite two examples, the depiction of the Japanese adoptive parents of contestant Molly Howard, um, uh, you know, a sudden and kind of, you know, this kind of minstrelsy that she's playing, and the treatment of Mary Johansson, the year's previous winner, suffering from anorexia. Um, to me, uh, those don't... It's bo- funny! Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just taking something... Um, that that could be partly real, or or have you have um, uh, uh, you know um, a perspective of that, and then again, um, you know, enhancing it for comedy right. purposes. And I think the funniest stuff is when everybody performs it like it's real, like they're not trying to be funny. And the fact that um, you know it's um, it's it's just exaggerating. Here you've got this girl, the former Miss, you know, beauty pageant. Who's you know has got about with anorexia? Well, a lot of people do. But what's so wonderful about that is when she sings "Don't Cry Out Loud." Don't cry out loud, and she's wearing this black curly wig. It is precisely what pageant culture does to young women. Yeah, exactly. And she's still you got the smile on her face, and she's losing her hair, and you know, and she's just you know, uh, um, you know, it's. It's just, it's fun and it's silly and you've got the, you know, the, um, the Asian mm-hmm. um, couple who it's like they want so badly to be a part of America. Let's adopt a white, you know, um, right. you know the, the whitest child with red hair. <laughs> you know, then we'll be all American. It just, it just it's yeah. silly and stupid and funny to me. <laughs> yeah, those, they don't, that doesn't bother me. I mean, in part, the whole, the tards, pants down, the retard, the retard, all this. But, of course, the film, as a mockumentary, and, that's, and that message where it says, we make it our policy, we do not intervene. Yeah. You know, so there's a way that they're conscious of this and playing with it. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously we're much more, um, you know, put a little politically correct now. Um, you know, the, the word t- retard is, you know, kind of makes everybody cringe. But, you know, back then, that's what we did call people. And until somebody said, not good, that's horrible. You know, my son, will, will, my son is on the autistic spectrum, and he will make a remark about retard, and I'll go, Max, that's horrible. And he goes, I can say that because I sort of am one. <laughs> so it's like, okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, back then, that really was how we grew up, and you, you said those kind of things. And, you know, we just, right. yeah. Right. Um, you've stated in, in an interview, which you probably don't remember because it was from a while ago, but you stated that you were one of the few actors who, were, who were, was allowed to improvise on the set. I don't know if I was one of the few, mm-hmm. a few actors that was allowed. Um, I think I had that background, and so, um, you know, I, I would play with a little, a little bit. Um, always the funniest things I say never get put on the camera, though. But the, but the crew always laughs at me. Um, <laughs> but I got to play with a little bit, you know, in the, the scene where the girls are fighting in the dressing yes. room and I'm trying to wrangle them and, you know, I would, I would just, you know, throw things out. But um, it wasn't, we didn't improvise to change any of the, the dialogue or to, or to, you know, make it um, any longer or anything like that. But um, I think probably what I meant was that I just had that training. Right, right. Yeah, no. 
it was interesting. I kept thinking, I did watch Austin Powers over the weekend. Um, <laughs> and I was just thinking I, what it is about your character that it's German and Nazi Germany here, and that you know, the, this kind of overlay of this bossy breath woman, you know, and the, but whatever. Maybe it was just 1999. Yeah. <laughs> Although it seems it so contemporary. Yes, yes. Um, so let's move to telling a, tell us more about the groundlings, groundlings. For those of you in the audience who may not know, but you do if you came last week to listen to Lorraine Newman and learn about Saturday Night Live. Uh, but the Groundlings Theater and School in Los Angeles has been home to the budding careers of, of comedians for more mm-hmm. than 40 years. Um, so tell us about your work there, your experience there. I think that would be interesting for our well, I, I started there in, in the 80s, uh, took classes, because you have to go through a whole, uh, you know, like, um, f- now it's five levels to um, be eligible to perform in um, our Sunday company and then hopefully get into the groundlings. Um, and it was just one of those things, and before that I was taking improv classes somewhere else, and I just, um, I was addicted to it. I just loved the art of improvising and coming up with ideas and characters and dialogue, and you didn't have to memorize anything and costume it, and it was wonderful. And um, so I did. I went to the Groundlings, and I had seen some of these incredible um, actors performing, uh, uh, Phil Hartman, Edie McClurg, um, and um, Paul Rubens, and just thought, oh, my gosh, I want to do this. So I started taking classes and kind of moved my way through the program and got, you know, into the groundlings, and it was like a family, and it still is. I think once you're in the groundlings, you become a family with your alumni. I mean, I'm alumni now. Whether you're alumni or not, it, it does bring people together because you're there getting that, that wonderful training that the groundlings provides and, um, and being able to do whatever you want with it afterwards, and uh, you know, meeting Lorraine, and Lorraine and I are friends now. Her um, sister um, taught me at the Groundlings, so she was my teacher, I think, two or three uh, levels. And, um, and I met Lorraine m- later, um, you know, while I was there. And um, so it's, it's kind of nice. It brings, you know, people together because you can go, oh, my God, remember when? Or we did this and I did that. And so it does, it does set you up. And um, and, and Lana was a, a, a student there. She probably, probably was one of mine, I think. So lots of people come from there, not just actors. You have writers and producers, and uh, um, it, it really it opens itself up and lends itself to other types of uh, success. So tell us a little bit more about working in ensemble comedy. Um, on this film, uh, you know, in The Groundlings, in a kind of ensemble cast, part of what we were... Highlighting with the first two um, films in our series was really comedians, women comedians in ensemble. So a Saturday Night Live, which mm-hmm. is it's, it's you know part of. It. So I just wanted to hear more about what it was working with this group. As you said, you hadn't worked with Kirstie Alley before, but you spent some time. I read somewhere that Kirstie Alley and Ellen Barkin were really not there very much. No, they were not. Um, I never got. I never. I don't think I ever met um, Ellen. I did um, do. Uh, I think it was in the funeral scene. Um, I met Alice and Janney, and um, you talk about just um, salt of the earth. She's just wonderful. And when I see her to this day, you know, we're like, hi, hi. Um, she really is just everything that you see in there. I think she's the funniest thing in the film. I think she just stole the movie by far. And, um, and Kirstie, well, because we worked together, and then, yeah, and then she left. I think she was there for like two weeks and then left. 
So I'm a big, um, like, I'm a big team player. I'm all about, and the Groundlings do, they, they really um, teach you how to work as a team. It's a team effort. You're not the only one, um, you know, uh, steering the wheel. So I'm all about working together to make something really um, wonderful. And I think that for the most part, I mean, I was very close with the girls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would hang out with Amy Adams, um, you know, like, um, um, you know, we would talk about, she would talk about, you know, when she leaves, she's going to go to California and Los Angeles. And I mean, it's just so weird to, you know, to, to, to see all this come back to you. And um, uh, Brittany Murphy, oh, yeah. my heart. But Brittany Murphy was just like that. She's, <laughs> she was just so cute and so lovely. And I'll never forget this, that um, when... I was done uh, working on it. She gave me this little gift, and it was a sticker. It said, Goddess. And I put it on my door in my bedroom for the longest time, and I I just, I adored her to death. And um, the, uh, so you you, you do, you tend, I'm I'm very social and very nurturing, so you tend to, when you're not working, you tend to just talk and um, you know, and I loved watching the girls. And you, there's, you know, a lot of times you're just sitting on the set. You sound like a judge. Yes. <laughs> I knew the guys. Um, I, I mean, I met them, um, you know, um, it, it, doing the film. But then we all became friends. And, I mean, they're all, they were just all great. There was, there was not one that I'm aware of one bad egg. In the whole bunch, you can't say that very often. No, there's yeah. always usually, you know. And I would say, if anything, you know, Kirstie Alley, she was, she was, did her stuff and then left. But she was very lovely to me, so I have nothing bad to say. Mm. Um, I, this is just a, this is kind of an odd question, and you may not know the answer. But um, I read that extras walked out on Denise Richards' performance of "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You." Um, and Richards had said that a number of extras had not read the script prior to filming. Oh. And her tone-deaf rendition of the Frankie Valley hit while dancing with the Jesus doll on a crucifix didn't sit especially well with unsuspecting audience members. It could Is be. That, true? that I don't know. That I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're, you've got people there that, uh, you know, that, that come from that religious thing. And Look, comedy, you're always going to insult or you're going to uh, make someone cringe or feel awkward or uncomfortable, that's just comedy because, you know, it's just a matter of get over it. (laughs) But, you know, if that's it, I I could see that happening. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it was Obama who talked about them clinging to their guns and their religion. (laughs) Um, You began your acting career in the 70s. Um, could you tell us what do you you know your career arc and what is your greatest accomplishment in your that you believe is your greatest accomplishment? Um, well, I think you know Austin Powers really opened the door for me, so I have to I owe so much to Mike Myers and um, you know allowing me to be in the three movies and really um, you know uh, pulling for me to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, because there's always that one something that just opened do- the doors for you. So, and I've been doing this for a long time. And um, so, it, it, you know, you just, uh, you finally get, you finally find your niche. And uh, then you realize, oh, oh, okay, now what else can she do? 
So that takes a while, too, because then everybody, after you, you have this one hit, everybody wants you to do the same thing. And you're like, I can't. I, you know, I already did it. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just a matter of somebody giving you an opportunity to show it. And the great thing about the Groundlings is I would have a show every Friday and Saturday night, and I would play a lot of different characters so that it wasn't just one thing that I did. I can do a lot of different things. Um, so, um, I think the Groundlings just really helped steer my way, you know, my way into the comedy world. And, um, I just always, I always like to laugh and I always like to make people laugh. That's like really important to me. Whether you want to laugh or not, I'm going to try to make you laugh. So you've worked extensively, uh, as an on-screen, um, and a voice actor, how have these differing performance experiences developed and informed each other? Well, I mean, voiceover, you're acting, so you're, you're, you're just, it's just a different, um, you know, way of doing it. You don't have to memorize anything, which I love. Everything is sitting there. Uh, you don't have to study it and go over it. <clears throat> you pretty much just come in. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you kind of play with the, the, the part, and the director says, great, we like that. So, you, you know, you just sort of do it, and sometimes you're there for, you know, uh, 30 minutes, and you get paid a lot of money. <laughs> and I like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but I, love, I love the art of it. I love being able to, I mean, Lorraine's just made a career out of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hard thing to get into and maintain because there, there are people that that's all they do. They've been doing this for years, so they're used a lot, and people will just go to them, and um, they won't open the door and lend itself to others to come in. But I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Well, before we open up for a few audience questions, I wanted to ask just one last question. Um, because this is a series of women in comedy, what, what, which comedians, male or female, have inspired you most? Dead or alive? Well, I think, I mean, I think growing up with Carol Burnett was like huge, you know, for me. Um, my dad was a, um, he was an actor and a singer and a comic, and so he would make me laugh and also embarrass me. Um, I, uh, I see, I love, I love stand-ups. I love watching stand-up. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. I just, I love learning from all of that. Um, but you don't do stand-up. No, I don't do stand-up at all. I think that's a scary thing to do. Because <laughs> you're all alone, and I like being and performing with people. I like working off of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people at the Groundlings have just been, because um, I taught at the Groundlings for years, so seeing talent there is inspiring, seeing what people do. When you, when you give them a suggestion, I think improvising is phenomenal. Um, I don't really have, like, you know, that one person that made it all possible for me. I just think it's a lot of different people. And constantly, more and more people that I see that I find, um, you know, really, really am amazing. Well, so we have time for questions from the audience. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you more about the groundlings. Improv is such a terrifying thing. Um, So it's so interesting to me whenever I hear people talk about how they fell in love with it, to get over that fear is incredible to me. What was the, like, 
pivotal moment in your life, like the moment you saw it and said, that's what I need to do? And then how did you approach and get over that fear to continue to do it? Well, I think I, I, I must have gone to a show. Uh, this was even before the Groundlings um, to see it and, and just loved the idea of um, you know, building characters and just being in the moment. Um, and there's, there's a freedom and a playfulness that I thought was really contagious. Um, and I was kind of shy, so um, it, it took me a little time to get there. And then the minute you start getting laughs, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. But I'm also, a, you know, you work, you're working with people, so you're, you're still having to act. You're still having to listen. And the tools that you're given to, uh, to improvise are the tools that you would have anyway as an actor, listening, um, you know, um, just uh, yes-anding, um, uh, in um, taking care of a person, making eye contact, making sense, all that kind of stuff you get to build. So I think by taking classes, whether you want to continue with improvi- improvising or, or, or moving through the, 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 the company, it, um, it just sort of expands you and you start taking risks that you would never do. So I always think that... Um, if everybody took one, um, you know, 12 classes of a basic class at the Groundlings or anywhere, it will, you will learn and walk out of there with something very valuable to have as a person and as an um, actor. I was curious to know your kind of process with finding your voice for a character. Ooh, that's good. Um, you know, it's a lot of times in voiceover... Um, you know, I, I have a lower register, so I'm always, you know, I'm always the crazy grandma or, you know, oh, the crazy grandma. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's from doing two, from doing improv and, um, and being able to play with things. And, you know, you're, when, when you're doing improv or sketch comedy, you're writing for characters that you create. When you're doing improvs, I'm just trying it on the fly um, and then they'll give you a description, you know, um, of the sides. They'll give you what, what she's like. <clears throat> and then you just kind of play with things. Um, and uh, so I, but I also do a lot of, you know, sometimes they'll say, they just want your voice. Just don't make a big deal about it. It's not a big cartoon. So then you're kind of playing it or, you know. But I tend to go with um, the wackier characters. <laughs> and then every now and then they'll get something. Just do your voice. Oh, all right. Other questions from the audience? Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! Speaking of improv, oh my God! Okay, Billy and I, as you know, wrote Cheers and worked with Kirsty for five years, and tonight I had a huge aha moment when you told me she doesn't read scripts. Well, she didn't then! Well, she didn't with us either. So... What I want to ask you is, as a writer, what makes you, when you turn the first page of a script or see a character description, what makes you go, I have to do that or I want to do that? What can we do better to make sure that Kirsty wants to read our script? <laughs> um, wow. Um, well, I would think, I don't understand why somebody wouldn't read, because uh, she had a very important role in that, uh, especially in this, but why somebody wouldn't want to read it. I mean, sometimes I have to read it three or four times just to take it all in because there's so much going on. But depending on how big my, my part is, I have to be honest with you, <laughs> I may just, you know, just work on the two pages that I have. 
But sometimes it just, it's, I don't know, that is so interesting. Can I just say who these people are? Um, okay, well, um, this is Sherry and Bill Steinkellner. And um, Bill, when I was taking, before I went to the Groundlings, I took his class. He taught an improv class, and I was somewhere else taking improv, and they all said to me, you have to go to the Groundlings, but first you have to go to Bill's class. And I went to Bill Steinkellner's class, and he made me fall in love with, with um, improv even more. He has the best laugh, the most supportive human being, and, and the best suggestions that he could give you. And from there, I met all these other people that I felt better and easier to make that transition. So he was wonderful. And, sh- and were you both in the Groundlings? Yes. Yeah, what year? Or what year? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they are... They are like the best people ever. And I thought about you guys when I was coming here, and I thought, maybe I should have called them to say that I was coming. No. Oh, um, no. They are like, yeah, you should ask them a thousand and one questions. But that's so funny about Kirstie Alley because she was a little um, preoccupied. You know, I mean, I just remember there. She was only there for two weeks, and she would always she would be asking. The director would tell her something, and she'd be like, "Oh, oh, all right." And then when she said aside, "Well, maybe I should re- I should have read the script," I was like, "Oh, that might have been a good idea, Kirsty." <laughs> so yeah, but um, I don't know anybody else that would have, especially something like this, that wouldn't have taken the time to do it. Maybe she was just kidding. I don't know, but that's so funny. Oh my god. Hi. Um, so how much of Austin Powers was scripted and how much of it was improv? It was mostly scripted. The, I think the, uh, the, the big improv came from Mike. So he would do, you know, two or three or four takes. And so he would just keep going or try different things. Um, and then we might have, you know, just in reaction to him, done a little something to add to it. Um, but none of us really changed the dialogue, it might have been a, one or two little things going on, um, because the script was so funny anyway, and uh, so his lines were pretty, were pretty there. We wanted to honor that. Well, everyone, thank you very much for coming here, and thank you, Mindy. Sterling, oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.